Welcome to another episode of Inside Jobs, the podcast served up just for you, creatives who work at or with in-house agencies. Brought to you in association with IHAF and content production partner Express KCS, we meet creative leaders who work directly for brands, learn about how they got to where they did and understand what drives them. Amy Strickland runs Sam's Club's in-house agency By The Numbers, a journey that started in the New York music industry of the 1990s, took her to San Francisco for both the dot-com boom and bust. Undeterred, the experience she gained from a very varied career led her to be asked by Walmart Sam's Club to set up and run their new in-house agency. So Amy, welcome to the Inside Jobs podcast. Thanks, Robert. I'm glad to be here. And I'm glad to have you here as well, because we met up in New York, I think it was, gosh. It was May, the beginning of May, at the uh, Damn New York Creative Operations Conference. Henry Stewart's lovely event. Henry Stewart's lovely event, for which you flew halfway across the, the world. Well, All right, the way, across all the, the way across the country. Yep, I, lo- I love that show. And I did live in New York uh, in earlier in my life, so I love any excuse to go back. Yeah, no, I love the city as well. So just, just quickly tell us, what do you do at Sam's Club? I am currently the Senior Director of marketing operations and creative operations for Sam's Club's uh, omni-channel marketing and creative organization. So I have um, two types of teams. The creative operations team is probably more the in-house agency analogous side of the house. And then my marketing operations team owns uh, the budget and tools and processes for everything that we do. I see. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's set the scene a little bit, but let's go back. You grew up across the, all all areas of the central time zone. How did that work out? Uh, yes, my parents, uh, instead of traveling uh, internationally at the time with four kids, uh, just liked to move around a lot. Uh, my dad was a Lutheran pastor at that time, and uh, what he liked to do was start churches and communities that didn't have one and wanted one. So we spent a year or so uh, in many different places, mostly in the Midwest, uh, and then what I would call settled down as much as it got uh, in Minnesota. So I consider Minnesota to be my home state. I finished high school there and went to college there. Whereabouts in Minnesota were you? Twin Cities area. Okay. So you uh, you grew up there and um, you, you somehow uh, got yourself into the position you're in now. And I want to go on that journey a little bit. Your LinkedIn profile is... Um, I think quite fascinating, actually, uh, the story there. So, so lead us through because um, it seems you you started off with a hankering for the music industry. Was that something that uh, you wanted to do right from the beginning? Sort of, yes. Um, you know, I was always a big music fan. My mom is a music teacher. I had my own list of things yeah. to do and listen to. What did you listen to back then? I was a punk rocker for a while. I did some oh. slam dancing, lots of new wave. My high school in St. Paul was a, a magnet school, and there was a wonderful man named Ben, who has since passed, um, but ran a recording studio down in the basement. Uh, so I started taking those classes, and I just fell in love with being around musicians and uh, learning how to splice tape the old school way. I don't know that many yeah, people yeah. do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went through that apprenticeship myself. I started out in a radio station and uh, spent a lot of time splicing tape. And So you, you enjoyed all that, yeah? Oh, yeah, I loved it. And I thought that that's uh, what I would do for the rest of my career. Uh, so I looked at Berkeley College of Music because they have a well-renowned uh, audio engineering program. And they said, great. Uh, what instrument do you want to spend your first two years with? And I said, none. (laughs) I just like the engineering part. 
so instead of doing that, I went to a liberal arts college in Minnesota called St. Olaf. Many people recognize it because one of the Golden Girls allegedly went to that school. Right. Yes, I thought the name sounded familiar. Yeah. yeah. So it does uh, exist. And at the time, they still had a vestige of an old uh, 60s type of program where you could make your own major. So I made my own major in broadcast media. Yeah. I wow. ran the college radio station. I had a couple of shows myself. I wrote a thesis of sorts on uh, what it's like to run a college radio station. <laughs> And then I parlayed that into a job in New York, which is where I really wanted to be, uh, at a college radio music magazine uh, and showcase event that happened once a year. Wound up being their director of sales and marketing for a, their music magazine called CMJ New Music Monthly. Cool. This was mid-90s, was it? Oh, yes, indeed. Right. Oh, so the Brit was the British invasion happening there, wasn't it? Wasn't that Britpop? Uh, this was a little more like uh, the, the, the onslaught of the Nirvana years. Oh, okay, yeah, right, okay. Good time, though, for music. Absolutely, um, for music, not so much for the music business. A lot of things were changing. I was uh, watching a lot of my friends at labels get pink slips because suddenly no one knew what they were doing anymore, or alleged. Yeah, but it's a tough business, music, and um, it's even uh, tougher like you now. just indicated. Yeah. It, well, even tougher now, although there are people making money in it, but it's in different ways, isn't it? The whole, the whole industry is turned upside down, and, and the revenue streams are from different places. But there is yep. still money in music, I believe. There is, yeah. Uh, a lot of it is in merch these days and touring. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Uh, if you can afford to spend the time doing it, of course. And uh, sure. so the music industry gave way to uh, what more kind of agency related? Yeah, yeah. So I decided to leave the music industry at that time and, and actually decided to leave New York, which basically meant leaving the music industry. Why? Why, um, did, you, why did you do that? Why did you do you a know, from New York? I'm a Midwestern girl, and, and I found myself elbowing old ladies on the subway and decided that's not <laughs> who I wanted to be. <laughs> okay. Do you remember the first projects you worked on? I did a lot of media buying in magazines like Fire Chief. <laughs> Fire Chief magazine. I wonder mm -hmm. if that's still being published. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Mm. There's still a lot of Fire Chiefs around, so, I mean, there's a market there, I'm sure. Indeed. Um, so a bit of a learning curve for you, especially media buying uh, as well, wasn't it? Yep, yep. We did we did creative um, work through a, a third party. Uh, so I did manage a lot of that. That was sort of my first taste at where I wound up. Were you buying any internet media at that point in the no. late 90s? Mm -mm, no. no, just hadn't come anywhere near. Did you, were you aware of it as a potential advertising platform or it just was kind of beyond the scope of what you were doing at the time? You know, uh, some of our clients may have been dabbling in it. I wasn't really as exposed to it as much. I mean, certainly I had a computer and I had email, um, but I don't know, maybe this audience wasn't quite ready for to be the avant-garde. <laughs> So anyway, uh, you were there in Tucson, Arizona, and um, where did you go from there? I had a choice. I had a friend with a spare bedroom in San Francisco, and I had a friend with a spare bedroom back in New York. So that's how I wound up here in San Francisco. Uh, my first job here in San Francisco was also at an agency, quite quite yeah. a bit bigger than the one I was with in Tucson. Um, but this was the height of the dot-com boom. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sh shortly thereafter, followed by the dot-bomb. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we we focused at that point on internet clients. Most of our clients were startups. Was there a lot of money sloshing around for these, these marketing budgets? Almost unlimited funds, as I recall. Or that's I'm how sure it that felt didn't to me. lead to any excesses on the part of the account directors at no, all. I'm sure not at all. Not at very, all. Very Pretty much anything sure. we would propose at that time would would be approved because <laughs> there there weren't many limitations on how that money was spent. Is <laughs> anything stick in your mind as being kind of wildly uh, crazy? Oh sure. Yeah, we did a, a very personalized piece for a telecom of sorts that was a Da Vinci book uh, hollowed out um, and with a piece of uh, paper foam, I guess, inside with all of the tools that Da Vinci made. Uh, and these were hand delivered to specific executives. Cool. Have you got any of those still? <laughs> I do, actually. I have the book, but I don't have the uh, insert. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it sounds beautiful, though. What a nice thing. But yeah, people don't have the money to spend on that kind of thing anymore. So so uh, you were presumably by this time, though, getting around to San Francisco the, uh, and the Silicon Valley, I guess, with all the uh, dot-com <clears throat> stuff going on. Um, and as you say, the dot-bomb. But you survived the dot-bomb. You hung on in there, did you? Yeah, I had decided. Um, I knew that DigiDesign was based here in the Bay Area. And because of my love for audio, uh, I did everything I possibly could to to get in there. And I did. So that led you, was that the thing that led you to Apple briefly? Uh, sort of, yes. Um, you know, at, at Digi, I was able to get my feet wet in marketing program management. I did a few stints there and um, an opportunity came up at Apple and, uh, you know, great brand. So you were aware of the iPhone before it was launched? Uh, we knew something was happening, but it's a very yeah. secretive environment there. <laughs> yeah. but, but it sounds like you're, you're kind of studying marketing from the ground up, really. Indeed, yeah. I have my own little mini MBA, I guess, in marketing, program management, operations, and and on the creative side as well. So the creative bit came in where? It also came in at Digi. My role as marketing program manager uh, was focused on uh, marketing programs end-to-end, so that included the creative piece. And that's when I really started to gravitate towards, towards that work. Yeah, I know what you mean. I do know absolutely what you mean. And um, I I haven't got a creative bone in my body, but um, I always, I love technology and uh, and technology and creative people. Also, and, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's always fascinated I me. love the, I love the whole thought process. I've yeah. never been a designer nor a musician, nor do I have any desire to be one. <laughs> mm. um, but I, I, I just love the, uh, the creative energy. Yeah, me too. Me too. So you went from Apple to Avid? Yep. Um, spent a, another couple of years there in marketing operations, building a, a, an operations function there. That scope included the video side of the business and sports and news and broadcast and storage. We're not at the end yet. There's a, there's a couple more. You went to Autodesk and Dolby after that before yeah. you wound up at Sam's Club. Was there, was there anything driving you beyond? No, I don't, I don't think there was a grand idea. You know, I was opportunistic, I guess, about what opportunities presented themselves to me. You know, what, what else was it adding to my arsenal? And that was one of the reasons that I wound up at Sam's Club. Is I had a desire to learn e-commerce, how, to, how creative is done in a very different type of environment than in a traditional you know, creative services type of shop. So tell us how the Sam's Club um, opportunity came along for you and what, what they were looking for, what you were looking for, and uh, what you started out doing there. Yeah, so at the time, the website, samsclub.com, was still largely operating out of the mothership in Buttonville, Arkansas, which is where all of the Walmart properties are based. 
However, the digital properties were already operating out of San Bruno. You know, that tends to be the Silicon Valley talent pool is uh, broader and deeper. Um, So a decision was made to bring the operations of the site largely um, over to California. So uh, I got a call and was asked if I would be interested in uh, building up this creative operations function essentially from scratch um, here in the Bay Area. So, so yeah. what, uh, what, what objective did they give you apart from building a creative operations? But what, what did it have to encompass? And uh, how did you negotiate the budget for all of this? I won't say we had no budget, but we had um, whatever we needed to get the thing up and running and make sure that the first task was people. So, you know, um, what was the right personality type, you know, based on how the, the, the hired team was evolving. Very focused on balance in building this team. And, and that worked out, did it, as a strategy? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It did. Um, uh, the vast majority of those folks are, are still with me. And the, how are their tasks divided then? So it's a, they are on a variety of levels from producer to senior producer to creative operations manager. And essentially, they are all producing work. The beauty of building a balanced team is that we're able to uh, juggle the work that comes in. Uh, and any one of the folks on the team can, can handle those business yeah. owners and, and those decisions. The, uh, the, it sounds to me like you're aiming to give the individuals in the team some autonomy. Oh, absolutely. Um, we don't have an account management function uh, or a client management or service function. So they act as um, client service as well as producer, trafficker, uh, project manager, cat wrangler. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the so the work comes from marketing. The work comes from a number of places. We have a, a omni-channel marketing team, which uh, handles. Um, we have a digital marketing team. We have a. And these are all located marketing. in the same building in San Francisco. Uh, most of they, them, yeah. Elsewhere? We do we do have some stakeholders and business partners in in the home office in Buttonville. Most of the merchant organizations are there. Um, we also service the site merchandising team. Yeah. Oh, the, the membership team. You know, SAMS is a membership organization. Uh, so uh, that's how we make our money. So there's a team that markets memberships, acquisitions. Um, obviously, you think of Bentonville and you think of Walmart. You're in San Francisco. How do you how do you communicate? Is it are you doing a lot of video conference and stuff like that, or or is there just a lot of plane travel or just phone? How how a do you actually communicate day to day? A little bit of both, I would say. You know, like anywhere, our primary way is is email. Uh, mm. We do have you know internal um, instant messaging. Um, but not everyone uses that, so it's it's more reliable to email and CC the world to make sure you captured everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you must have been doing something right. You created, you set up a creative operations. Um, did anyone mentor you for this, or, or did you just kind of figure this out as you went along? Uh, I figured you, you, it this out was largely four years yeah. ago now. I, I largely figured it out on my own. I did have a counterpart on the walmart.com side, and yeah. um, certainly I learned a lot from her, particularly about how to operate in, in Walmart. <laughs> did, you, did you find yourself uh, taking some wrong turns and having to back out, or was it pretty, no. pretty seamless? Uh, I wouldn't say it was seamless, but I can't think of anything I entirely had to back out of. Um, you know, there, there are some things I might have done differently, in particularly in terms of the way we rolled out tools. Um, it's very hard to get tools at Walmart because of um, data security uh, yeah. and hosting issues. So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. made a choice to go with something that was readily available and didn't mm-hmm. cost me anything and was already approved by the organization. And 
they obviously asked you to take on um, marketing operations. That was creative operations. Now you're also marketing operations and creative operations, right? Yep, yep, that's right. So I've been doing this uh, this additional piece for just over a year. And does that make I, you poacher and gamekeeper at the same time? It does. It's an interesting position to be in. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, I'll be honest, my two teams are in conflict with each other, uh-huh. right, is the nature mm-hmm. of, of that beast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I own... you sit in a very, very big chair between them and just raise your hand <laughs> when, there's a, when there's a lot of noise and tell them all to be quiet and then I try to. What... I try to disappear and let them figure it out for themselves. <laughs> Is that smart management or cowardice? I'm not quite sure. I, I like I to think... think it's smart. <laughs> I trust their judgment, so I have faith that they'll come to the right conclusion without me most of the time. So is marketing operations at Sam's Club, that's something uh, that you had to create or was it already there? It was not there at the time either. And it is um, marketing operations in the process sense, not in the demand generation sense. Uh, Marketing operations was there to do some back office management for the creative operations and to assist marketing? I would call it more of a handoff. So the marketing operations team largely handles the upstream parts of the marketing process, working with marketers to get briefs into a state where they can be reviewed by our executive team. So that's kind of account management then, isn't it? You said earlier you don't have account management, but that seems to be an account management type role, doesn't it, interfacing that? It's more like a a help desk role, right? Mm. They don't have accountability for the quality of those briefs. Mm. They have accountability for making sure that they get to um, the places in time that they need to be in order for the creative ops Mm. team to execute them. When we met, not in March, but in May, you were giving a talk, a very interesting talk about um, metrics in marketing operations and creative operations. So we've we've been through your career and uh, you've been at Sam's Club for four years, but you clearly have a passion for the numbers and I'm curious where that came from and, and why you have such a passion for the numbers. Every once in a while, you're going to be asked to justify your existence and the existence of your team. So I started real fast to love the numbers and learn what I could tell from them and how I could uh, use them to communicate value and, and volume of work out the, coming out of those teams. So that was a real deep dive um, for me. I know with numbers, we did this ourselves at Express KCS. Once you start to present numbers and you present dashboards of numbers, the immediate effect is to make you ask more questions. Indeed. Uh, Did it just evolve for you? Absolutely. One of the first things I did when I came to SAMS was put a metrics program in place Mm -hmm. with uh, by any means necessary, I might call it. Um, And that is what the talk was about that you're referring to. I started figuring out ways to to count things because I knew that question uh, was going to come up sooner or later. So I hacked a lot of ways to to get to a metrics program. Well, the um, you you were very generous in your talk in sharing a lot of what you learned, and I do seem to remember. I think one of the questions that came up was, "How do you um, have creative people on the one hand, and you have numbers and, and metrics and reporting and analysis on the other?" Because they they're not natural bedfellows, Amy. 
No, they're not. And I think, you know, that's one of the places that um, I have a really hard time hiring for, right? You're looking for a needle in a haystack when you're looking for someone mm. who uh, can understand and work in a creative environment, mm. but also be a, a numbers and a, a tools geek to a certain extent. So mm. that's the hardest role I, I ever have to, to fill in what I do. And, you know, for that reason, I did a lot of that work myself. But you're not doing it. I mean, presumably you're institutionalizing this this uh, by the numbers approach, right? They see these numbers. They're expected to report the numbers. They talk about the numbers with you and others, I presume. So I would guess that if you're leading it and you have this um, strong insight and belief in metrics and measurement as a way of solving problems or at least finding problems and, and then looking for solutions, I presume you institutionalize this with the people who work there, don't you? I do to a certain extent. I would say on the creative operations side, so um, I hold them very tightly accountable to making sure that uh, in the tools that we use, um, whether they be manual or our new automated tools, that everything they're doing is recorded and is, is correct in those systems so that the output on the other side is also accurate. Right, right. And if you were just to be allowed to have three numbers that you could measure your your business and operations by, which numbers would those be? That's a great one. I'm not sure I know the answer to that yet, Robert. I count a lot of things and I sometimes don't know what I'm going to use them for until a question comes up that my data will (laughs) allow me to answer. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The most important numbers that we used last year were building out a a resource and capacity plan that gave us very good insight into um, what we were capable of, uh, what we were actually outputting. And what so what this would help your forecast. marketing operations manage expectations, I presume, with with their clients, with marketing, yep, right? That's exactly right. So no unreasonable expectations. At least when the unreasonable expectation comes in, you know immediately it's unreasonable, rather than accepting it and working on it and then suddenly realizing it's. You can predict yep. what what capability you have. Yep, yeah, that was one of the first things I did when I took over the marketing operations function because I realized we didn't know how to answer the question: Can you do yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and what else then would you say, if you're really going to be starting to get into the numbers and start doing this, talking about capacity is one thing, what else would you would you urge people to look at as a good place to start? Well, volume is the easiest one, right? And that relates to capacity. We would love to get to a place where we can measure the quality of the output. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're starting to do that and experimenting with A-B uh, testing online and in emails. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of the holy grail as I see it. And everything in between, it really depends on what problems your organization has or what your executives are, are asking you to do or challenging you on. Yeah, I think actually you've just made a strong case for the for in-house agencies there as well because you've access to everything from soup to nuts there. You can actually see how adjusting something at an early stage in the process can affect something right at the end of the process in terms of perhaps click-throughs or, you know, activity online that um you simply wouldn't necessarily be able to piece together if if you're working with external agencies along the way as well, I guess. Yep, that's absolutely right. One of our big initiatives this year is to build out a I guess I'll call it not knowledge management function on my team, which is when we, for instance, when we write a brief, when the marketers write a brief and we do all the work on the creative and they say, this program was intended to drive this much revenue or this much Mm -hmm. traffic, we are building in discipline on going back and looking at, did we actually do that? And that's a fairly new uh, muscle for us. And I'm I'm pretty sure we're not alone in that. (laughs) 
Okay, so by the way, the presentation you gave at Henry Stewart, is that available online? Is that... I, think, I, d- I, I believe it is. I don't know the URL, but I did make it available oh, well. to Henry Stewart. Yes. Okay. If we find it online, I'll make sure we've got a link to it in the show notes at um, insidejobspodcast.org or actually in the show notes itself. So you mentioned earlier, of course, that sometimes there's a bit of conflict between marketing operations and creative operations. And you you like to disappear at those points. Very, very, pol- very politic move, I think, Amy. Um, where do you Where do you disappear to when you can? Well, I work from home when I can. It's not very often, but I love to be here in my house reading or cooking or uh, entertaining my dog. <laughs> okay. and But you do like to travel afar for snacks, don't I you? I do. I do. Uh-huh. Um, my husband and I have started a bad habit, I guess, or a good <laughs> habit, depending, of uh, traveling to go to specific restaurants. Uh, we went to Mexico City to go to a place called Pico. Uh-huh. We went to Oslo to go to a place called Maemo. Uh-huh. And I would say the most extreme adventure was to a place called Faviken in northern Sweden yeah. last summer. Wow. Well, okay. So uh, we'll, we'll make sure that that's on my bucket list now, Amy. <laughs> great, um, great. And uh, you mentioned reading as well. What are you reading at the moment? Uh, I'm just starting Sticky Fingers, which is a, a biography of Jan Wenner, the publisher of Rolling Stone. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's only just come out, hasn't yeah, it? He, yeah. This is his unauthorized yep, one. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to, to digging the dirt on that one. Uh, but if people want to talk to you about the way you approach metrics and so on, and they, they don't get to a Henry Stewart conference, or the IHAF conference. How can they get in contact with you, Amy? Oh, absolutely. Um, I had many people reach out after that, and I'm happy to, to answer questions and discuss anything of interest. You can reach me on LinkedIn. Um, just hit me up there, or you can email me at amy.strickland at samsclub.com. Right. Thank you very much, Amy. I'm not surprised people wanted to get in touch with you after that. It was a, it was a great presentation, very informative. And I circulated it to my team indeed as well at Express KCS oh, as well. excellent. Excellent. So, Amy, thank you very much for your time. And uh, it's been a huge pleasure talking to you. Yes. Thanks, Robert. I really enjoyed it. 